Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover for unfan favorites and not cover hidden gems as we explore the depths of director video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched The Double Life of Veronique. In The Double Life of Veronique, Irene Jacob plays dual roles. One woman moves to Warsaw to take care of her sick aunt and pursue her singing career. The other lives in France teaching music and searching for a very specific love. Both are oblivious to the other, but possibly share an unspoken connection. Screenplay by Christoph Kieslowski and Christoph Pieszewicz, directed by Christoph Kieslowski, and premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on May 15, 1991. I know I'm going to get a lot of these names wrong as we go, so I already apologize. Anyway, have you seen this movie before? No, but I've heard of it, and I thought um, it was going to be like a La Femme Nikita type okay. of thing. That's what I always, when I heard about the Double sleep, Life as in Secret Agent type yeah, of Yeah, like thing. a secret spy type thing. <laughs> I, I always knew it was more subdued. I, for some reason, I thought it was like a movie that took place in like, or was made in the 60s or 70s. And I think I'm getting it confused with like another Criterion release, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, which was like a 70s movie. Um, but I, I always assumed it was more of like, you know, double life in that, you know, secrets hiding affairs or you know hiding a, yeah. another partner or whatever you know what i mean oh uh, okay so she yeah she's playing two different like she it's her but she's got two separate lives like playing like one person who's yeah one carrying person, on with two different two lives like yeah. she has a, a dude over here and then a dude over here something like that that's what i and she's playing them yeah okay um but possibly with a little bit of mystery and intrigue and you know i don't know we there's no double agent secret spy stuff in here um i think my perception is a little bit closer but not exact because it is the same person playing two roles but they are two completely separate people who just happen to look 100 percent identical because they're played by the same person yeah and then i thought when we found that out i thought it was gonna be the two of them realizing that they were twins and they were separated at birth and something weird happened but that didn't happen at all that did not happen at all and i i would i'll say i think my biggest problem with this movie is me and my own perceptions of what i thought was going to happen or you know that's how i yeah, because it was going places, and in my mind, I wanted the, the places to go, and they didn't go what my mind wanted it to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I, I know what you mean. And, you know, there's... Which, I don't want to fault this movie, because I was like, do I like this? <laughs> <laughs> because it's not going the way I want it to, but... Yeah, I think this is a movie where, I mean, I'll probably repeat this at the end, where I like the movie, but mm-hmm. I think if I were to watch it later on in the future, I'd probably love it, because I know what to expect or what to not expect. I, yeah, I, now I feel like this is a movie that you have to watch again just to get certain themes or yeah. whatever. I think what I, I think what hurts it in a way is that there are definite connections between the two characters, and the movie plays it up a little bit. You know, there are literal threads between the two lives, and the fact that you have the first person who has the string that she wraps around her finger while she's doing her audition for. Um, you know the the orchestra or whatever production that she's there's gonna be part of she's wrapping a thread around her finger and then the second life gets a string sent to her in the mail by somebody Mm -hmm. with an ekg readout that we later see is like that came in the mail with it so it seemed like it was directly referencing what the first girl yes and there's honestly a lot that goes on with alexander's character it makes it seem like he knows more than he leads on and that he knows about the connection between these two. And that's partly why he's still so enthralled with her. So I don't fault you because I had the exact same thoughts of like, this is, we kind of expected almost like a mystery. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what we actually get is something more like, um, if we're talking 1991 movies, more like Afraid of the Dark. Yeah, that's what I thought of. Um, or if we're talking about just better movies in general, Chunking Express, where you have these two different stories, basically, mm-hmm. that really don't have anything to do with one another. The movie kind of associates them, but they're their own things. They just happen to in- inhabit the same running time, and that's all you need to know. It, it's, it should be taken like that. And if you, if I would have known that going in, I think I would have come out of it with the stronger. Yeah, impression. it also made me think of once again Lost Highway, where I think I said that in Afraid of the Dark, mm-hmm. and then it made me just want to watch Lost Highway, <laughs> and um, but also of. It, yeah, it, when I was thinking of just in terms of 1991 movies, because, I mean, all these movies, like, you know, Chungking Express and then even Lost Highway, that's after this. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, are the, are those movies getting ideas from this movie? Because this is probably the beginning of just... De- it. It puts you in the perspective of, like, you. it can go, like, wherever you want it to go. Yes. With all these symbolism. Like, whatever you think. That's what I, I mean of David, you know, like, David. I'm thinking of David Lynch. And it's just, like, with his movies, a lot of them don't make sense. But it's, like, it's all up to you. Like, whatever your perspective is it's fine (laughs) you know it's like there's no wrong or right answer yeah there's like a a beauty in the and then that's yeah and And that's what this is 
going for which and then when I was thinking about it more I was like okay because I, I like movies that just make you think but and then you're and then you're but then you want to watch it again to see if there's anything like if you missed any other clues or whatever right I, I mean to see what if there is something between them uh, yeah I'm with you on that I think and then even at the very end, I, I thought of something else, okay. which, I mean, we can just yeah, go all, <laughs> let's just go all the way to the end yeah, where yeah. the guy, Alexandre, mm -hmm. he is a children's book writer. And at the very end, he's like, I'm thinking and about a puppeteer. Yeah, yeah, a puppeteer. So I was, I was starting to think was this all in his mind? Mm, okay. Because he said near the end, I want to write a book about two women that look alike, you know, like you and... Because they were looking at her photos that she took and he's like, oh, that's you. Right. Yeah, and she's like, no. Yeah, he, yeah. And she was like, no, that isn't me, but isn't that you know, a coincidence or something like a crazy coincidence. And that's sort of <laughs> inspired him to make this story because he tells her, I want to write a book and I want to call it The Double Life Of, but he doesn't say, he doesn't have a name. He's like, and, I don't know what name to put onto that. And then it made me think, is this his story from the beginning so you're thinking like what if if you watch it again would there be traces of alexander in the first story yeah, yeah that's what like this like this isn't even about two women at all this is just him telling a story sure i see that perspective i, I could definitely understand that and to sort of cycle back to some of the the broader stroke things that you were saying before i like movies that make you think Mm -hmm. But there has to be a reason for thinking, right? And, and I think David Lynch does a really good job of that most of the time, not always. Um, this movie does a good job of that as well. There are other movies that are pretending to be deep when they're... Really not, I don't know. Puddle, right? And then I also thought of so like... There, there, it's, it's one thing to just throw a whole bunch of abstract concepts into the air... And be like, oh well, you can just interpret it however you, however way you want to, because it's art. But yeah, yeah, you know, just a bullshit response. But then there's movies like this, or things, you know. That's like... why I was trying to read. I mean, I read so many like reviews. How even like Roger Ebert, like all these people, yeah. they were saying like this is at the top of their list of one of the greatest movies ever to them, like during that time. Because it's about the feelings. Yeah, it's. Right? It's what you feel. So, I mean, that's art. <laughs> yeah. And then it made me also think of, like, how Barton Fink is. How... Exactly. Yeah. What I thought could happen or should have happened is different than what other people think. Yeah. The, you know, having things open for interpretation is good. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't leave it too open for, you know, I don't know. There has to be... You have to be able to see that there is some intent by the artist creator. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know painters well enough, right? But, like, I would say, like, this movie is more in line... 
I'd say David Lynch is more in line with like a Sal- Salvador Dali type of person, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, like, it's you know, all surrealism and a lot like of surrealism, and you really have to kind of like. I mean, he dig even for says like, it's like I had a dream, and this is what it is. And then this, I don't know, I don't know what painter to equate it with, but it would be somebody mm-hmm. who is still a bit more abstract, like an impression but, impressionism, but also not. Yeah, like I, I'm trying to think of, I don't know. Again, I don't know enough painters. But like really. Kandinsky or something, but... Um. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But, you know, somebody who's like who's still abstract, but more grounded in reality and rea- realistic concepts. You're not going to have like clocks melting with yeah. the Kozlowski movie. Yeah, this it's isn't... It's just all about, like Ebert is saying here, like it's it's about feeling. It's about, you know, emotions. Yeah, that's what, I mean, this is what art, that's what art, like, when you go to an art museum, the way you perceive a certain painting is different, like, the Seurat painting, the one with the little dots, you know, I mean, people focus on those little dots instead of, or you see the big picture or whatever. Right. And, I mean, it's just on the perspective of who sees it. Yeah, and how close you want to look, too. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Kieslowski's movies. I've seen his Three Colors trilogy, but that was a long time ago. I haven't seen any, and I was trying to look up, you know, what is the meaning of this movie? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I, it's basically about your feelings. Yeah. It's and, about that shared connection. Of, yeah. You know, like, you and have, was... Sometimes you just get into these emotional states, and you don't really know where they're coming from. And, like, what if there is somebody who's half a world away or you know just yeah someone it makes you think is you there that... in the it makes you think about oh is there someone else on the other side of this earth that's living a similar life as me yeah i mean and I, I, I i've had feelings like you know i don't feel like i'm part of my family before you know what i mean like it's like yeah, oh, this, when like there's weird there's these weird little bits of alienation where it's like i feel like i'm too different than what i have around me mm. so like what is Even that that's mean? what she says to her father, the the second Veronica. Well, they the both French say something one. similar. Like one, the the first one says something about how she's always felt alone until recently, mm-hmm. and then the other one feels like now I feel empty. Yeah, where I didn't before. So mm-hmm. it's like opposite. Um, and we should probably say something clearly uh, that you know the first one dies about a third into the movie. And so, like, her story... I mean, that shocked me. And then I was ends. like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> and then... So and her then story just ends, and then we The majority the is the second Veronica, which is in France. So... The French That's Veronica. That's why the second feels so empty, is because she now has lost like that she, kindred yeah, spirit, that other part Yeah, she's feeling this grief, but she doesn't know why. Yeah. And that's where I was thinking... Um, about oh were they twins because you know how right twins like if some if they feel pain the other twin can feel it you know right like a phantom pain but there's no obvious um there, there's nothing to really point to that being the case at all uh for one they don't show the mothers in either but they show both fathers and they are very much different and there's nothing to indicate that either one of them is adopted or that there was any sort of split birth or anything like that. They do seem to be like two separate people. Mm-hmm. But that's intentional, right? Like it's not meant to be a twins story. It's meant to be just random happenstances. And like, you know, just this 
uh, amazing connection that you would never expect to, to see. It's not it's not going to be like three identical strangers, that documentary about the twins who found themselves. Yeah, that's, that's where I thought triplets. this was um, going, but it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> but it, yeah, I mean, there's like enough little clues and, and little pieces in here that make it seem like, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Uh, and then also the way Alexander handles everything with, you know, he's, um, he get, I mean, they're, he, they're both like stalking each other. Yeah, that's, I was like, I, I mean, I get it. So she's, she's a teacher, the second, Veron the French Veronica. She's a teach, she teaches music and she, um, just happened to come upon like she was gonna teach her students in some random room and someone was like no the puppeteer is gonna be here are you gonna go to that show and she's like oh, I don't even know about it but yeah sure but during this his show the marionette show I mean I don't know the difference between I mean like puppetry and marionette <laughs> like marionette has more feelings right with it yeah it, it's um Mary Network is less about hiding the performer behind it. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. more about feeling. And it made me it's think more of... erratic, typically, too. Yeah, it made me think of also, like, John Cusack in being John Malkovich. Right. Like, when he was doing his puppeteering. Yeah. But it was more like marionette. But anyway, so that's kind of like how... That, so she's watching this show, and she's feeling things... Like, the story that this guy is showing is about, like, a ballerina that breaks her leg or something. And she all of a sudden wakes up and becomes a butterfly, basically. That's the story that he's telling through yeah. this marionette. But she's not really watching that. She's yeah, watching She's watching his him face. do it. She's, she sees, um, like, off to the side, there's, like, a, a mirror, mirror yeah. that shows his reflection. But and they're both staring at each other. Yeah. And she's kind of missing what I think is meant to represent her resurrection story. Because this is very shortly after the, the first Veronique passes away while giving her live performance in front of a massive crowd. Mm -hmm. And now here's a performer who basically falls... She's they put falling. a sheet over her to make it seem like she's dead. Even oh, though I think yeah. that's meant to be like bedtime, but whatever. It's still like symbolism. Yeah. You know? And then she's resurrected. So like she's not even watching her own resurrection story to understand that it's about her because she's focusing on Alexander. But that's that story she's watching is not about her. I think it is. Oh, because I'm thinking the story that this guy is coming up later is going to be about her. I think it's all the same. Oh. I think it's basically all connected. And I think, you know, what you're saying here, let's look at the more obvious symbolism of him being a puppeteer pulling the strings. Yeah, and he's also... So he's pulling the strings of her Both Veronica's. Yeah. Right? Possibly. And, if, um... You know, if we want to go farther with Into your, it. Yeah. But she's watching him work, and I think she's falling in love with him. him. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a love at first, love, like love at first sight. Like she's in love that he's so into his craft. I think, and 
Um, but they don't speak to each other because she just gets up and leaves. But when she's leaving, she puts in a cigarette in her mouth and he comes by and is honking at her, telling her that you put in your cigarette the wrong way. And then she kind of like awkwardly is like, oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, like she follows him. She follows him. Yeah. And she doesn't, they don't know each, like, I don't know. They don't know each other's name. Like this would be all like cutesy and stuff, but I started thinking like this is too stalkery. I mean, she must... He must know her name in some way because he's yeah, able to he's, call her. He at probably her place found like send her mail. could have asked someone like who was that teacher at that school, you know? Yeah, we don't see that part. So we only see her part trying to figure out who he is because she's like, "Oh, I saw this puppeteer, and it, his name started with an A, and I can't remember." And that's when her friend is like, "Oh, naming all these A names." Right. And she's like, oh, okay. It's, but then, yeah, it's like, oh, this, that story reminds me of this one. And then and then um, they see on the back of the book, oh, it's his own story he's performing. Yeah, and she finds out that he's a children's author. And then she starts to read, like, all of his books. But some of those look really thick. Yeah. They don't look like children's books. They look like historical texts. A couple like of those things. Large novels that yeah, like of fables novels, and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I don't know. They're very big, dense books. I don't know. But yeah, so she's like completely obsessed and apparently he has some way to contact her that we don't see off screen because he's he's calling and not saying anything again. Which I'm like, okay, I would be angry, but she's kind of like charmed by it. And apparently he's like finding a way to like I didn't see too clearly, and I think that's probably the point. But, like, you know, when they're flashing the light into the window and Mm -hmm. it, like, hits her in the face. Yeah. From somewhere across the street. Yeah. It seemed like it was just a random person doing it. Yeah. And not him. But it was his doing. Oh. Because it led to her whatever finding that... The shoelace thing? Yeah. I thought it was just a neighbor doing it, like, messing with her. <laughs> but, okay. No, I think it's part of the... Like, him... The part of the puzzle that he wanted her to figure out. Mm. Like, hey, look down here. Because he's sort of playing mind games with her for a while. It's, and... it's like a couple of weeks or something. I think so. And... He said that he had been stalking her for 48 hours when they finally do get to talk. Yeah, well... Th- Okay, it's yeah, he so he, he sends the shoelace thing with the EKG thing and then later on she gets um a cassette tape just addressed to her. Well, it was to her father's house, not to her place. Yeah. Like her fo- like when she she visits her father, he's like, "Oh, you got this package, but didn't say from who." And she gets this cassette tape she goes home, she's listening to it, and it's just, like, random sounds. She finds out it's, like, from a train station. Yeah, she's just trying to put together the audio mystery because it yeah. is very specific noises, and she's going to these different places and, yeah, testing outdoors and whatnot to find out what's going on. Um, sees him at the cafe, and that's when they actually get to talk. And he said that he had been tracking her for 48 hours. Yeah. And that you know, this is sort of an experiment for his potential new book about basically what the movie is about. Like, you know, unspoken yeah. connections. 
you know, can pe can two people fall in love um, and, and do these things in this type of a situation? So, like, so once she learns that she's just an experiment to him, or that's, you know, what yeah, what she, she interpreted, then she, then she runs away crying. Yeah. And he tries to... Whatever. Follow her, but then she kind of... I don't know if she wants him to follow her. I don't know what the deal was there. Not for a while, because he had to, like, track her down again and say, oh, no, actually, I love you. Yeah, she... she and then she's like, Yeah, okay, he's following fine. her, and then she ends up getting a room in a hotel. Because she lives outside of Paris. Somewhere. I don't really know. But yeah, know she either. goes to... Because this train station that he lured her to, or whatever, is in Paris. So she's running around Paris after... He told her what he told her, and then she just gets a random hotel for the night, and he finds her. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah, she's able to escape in a cab, and then he—I think he's able. He to sees the, the cab, cab go off, and yeah. he probably just—I mean, this is like this was like triggery to me. It was like this is stalkery, and I'm not into it. And then he comes into. Like, knocks on her door, her room, and then that's when they just profess their love to each other. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I don't know, it's really... I, I had a problem with the other scene that happened in the hotel room, too, where, you know, we talked about the contact sheet that showed the picture of her other self. Mm -hmm. So in the, in the first scene, this is another thing that kind of was weird about the movie and I thought I was going to go in a different spot again the Polish version of her mm -hmm. she comes out of this audition you know happy as all get out because she just you know crushed the audition but there's all kinds of protests going on around her yeah. she's just like obliviously walking through like this you know, a bunch of people who are gathering in the town square and and putting up banners and chanting and everything and the police are starting to surround the place and everything um, and then she sees a bus with a bunch of people getting in and there's someone with the camera taking pictures of the whole thing from inside the bus and that's Veronique yeah. taking pictures of Veronique and other people so that's that's the the thing that's being referenced and so um, I'm sure that all the protesting and everything has a very key aspect to this that I will not get as an American without doing more additional research, which I didn't get a chance to do for this. It, it was in Krakow, Poland, and during that time it was like protesting the Communist, communist Party. Okay. So some sort of political uprising. In, in yeah, some in the late 80s, early 90s. So how that really ties into this other than just sign of the times, I don't know. But it probably has something to do with something, because why would it be in there otherwise? Um, the movie still works without realizing that context. But my point is, near the end of the movie, when she's emptying out her purse, basically, like there's a conversation that they have that says, you know, I don't know enough about you, and so she empties her purse to sort of like, Ask me anything about what yeah. you see in here. And he sees the contact sheet um, with all the different photos, including the one of her. 
and she just starts crying because she instantly understands that that that's the emptiness that she had been feeling mm-hmm. like this this is what that means and then he just wants to like jump her bones right then and there while that's, she's crying yeah like, that's and, just and i'm like is this is a weird way of comforting someone who is feeling some sort of loss or confusion or... especially since it's basically their first physical contact but yeah i don't know in in his mind he's like oh she's so beautiful <laughs> she looks so beautiful let me kiss her now yeah like isn't this vulnerability and like you know yeah. emotionality you know it's like oh she's so caring and loving and whatever about but this random person in our minds we're like what and all this the is, hell are yeah. you doing? She's crying. Comfort her, but yeah. not... read the room. Like, don't comfort her by being like, let me make out with you and, oh, let's just have sex right now. But I don't know. It's... Yeah, it's I don't know. It seemed forceful, right? It, it, yeah. And it was off-putting. But I think it's meant to be more sweet than what it comes off as. And I don't know if yeah, it's whole, 30 years of... Their, like, yeah, you know, that whole the stalking interaction. behavior is also... Yeah, the stalking weird, behavior, it, I wouldn't even let... I would... If I was in her shoes, I'd be like... Not even... Romanticizing this at all. I'd be like, okay, I'm getting weird phone calls. I'm getting weird shit in the mail. I would be more mad. And she's glamorizing this but i mean in her i mean i don't i'm not gonna i I think it's just (laughs) i think it's slightly different you know i think it's just i mean just nowadays i mean during that time she's like oh this is very sweet and whoever's doing this is it's like you know pulling at my heartstrings a bit like i like this chase yeah persistence was seen as endearing yeah a lot more um and you know the level of persistence has everything to do with stalker versus you know just giving it your best shot at mm-hmm. romance um this isn't that fine of a line i don't know it seemed like it was inappropriate but you know whatever um sort of taking taking that out of the picture it, it's you it, it was just a weird weird thing um and then afterwards, it seems like they're just together now. And, and yeah. so, like, you know, he's putting together the marionettes. He has two copies of the marionette. And she's like, well, why do you have two of me? Because it is supposed to be her. Yeah. Like, well, why do you have two of me? He's like, oh, well, I work with them so much that they break. That's, sometimes. uh, yeah. And then it made me, he said, I made a second puppet because the original may get damaged. And then I, I made a note of that because it's like the first veronica is she the damaged one because she's the one that died yeah and then this is the good veronica or somehow or not the non-damaged one yeah and is there going to be a third somewhere that we just don't know about that he maybe does um and then it also yeah that's when he goes in the whole conversation about you know like yeah i'm gonna i'm starting to write this book about Two women who two have women who shared, have shared lives, and I want to name it the double life of. And he's like, I can't think of a name. Yeah, and that's what made me think about how this entire movie is his story. And in the first part, the first Veronica, I guess, when she visits her old, her elderly aunt, who's 
She's got, I don't even know what, she's sick. She's just yeah, very sick. Yeah, I don't sick. think she's elderly. She's like 40s, she, 50s. She's, she's just sick. really like, sick. She has like so, cancer or something, I think it is, actually. Okay. And then Veronica leaves to go live with her, I guess. Like, she just ups and leaves her father and is like, I'm going to go be with my aunt. Mm-hmm. And everyone, the aunt mentions that everyone in the family is so worried about me but everyone else in the family is dying young she said that even when they were healthy right so it's like she's foreshadowing the death of her niece because like in a week she gets like a heart attack on stage and dies out of nowhere yeah she does have that brief attack in in the park or, or on the yeah she or has this she sits down yeah, uh, yeah, she had, which I thought that was very odd because there was like a guy watching her, like, dying. I don't know. And she just kind of collapses and this guy just walks by and looks at her like, what the fuck? And then that's it. No, but he does expose himself, like you said. Did he really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's a flasher. Okay, so she's she's literally having a heart attack or something, and this guy just walks by, exposes himself, and then walks on by and looks at her like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And she's, she can't, like, she's trying to compre- comprehend, like, what's going on with herself, because she's, like, collapsing sort of down this road. But then that scene kind of ends. Yeah, that's our first hint. The, um, yeah, the aunt, she brings that up because she's having her will done. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, everyone else in this family dies so young and is unprepared, so I'm, since I know I'm yeah. dying, I'm going to have my will done. And then there's also correlation in the first part, the first Veronica, the Polish Veronica. She, she goes to Krakow. She's somewhere in Poland. She lives with her aunt in Krakow. And then she has a boyfriend. Warsaw. Yeah. Yeah. And um, while she's in Krakow, like, going to this audition or after the audition, um, she sees him. She's on the bus. She sees him on his motorcycle. She, And that's when he's like, I came by and I hope you... I was hoping that you would notice me. And I came here to tell you I love you. Which is kind of like similar to the even though they've been together and he's like here's my room at the hotel and I'm room 287 mm-hmm. and that was also the same room number as the second Veronica her room number was 287 yeah but that was in Paris this is in Krakow but all so it's like all these like double meanings i'm like what does 287 mean you know it, yeah it, and then you have the uh there's the woman in the hat who recognizes her in paris even though yeah from was... from her polish life and i think it's the person who auditioned with her or yeah the friend of the first the first veronica <laughs> yeah definitely somebody that she knew from the singing part mm-hmm. um and she's just there to sort of like, what the fuck? You know, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't yeah, have she any just, interactions with the Paris one. She um, doesn't even go up to her and be like, hey, I know you. Yeah. It's just like a huh recognition. Because she would have known that she was dead. Yeah. Right? So like, it's like, what the fuck? 
I it looks like the dead girl. Yeah. And that's that's as far as it goes in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like another little in not joke, but you know, like it, it's you know, like a little little nugget for us. Yeah, and that it just makes you want to watch this movie and <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, but it, there's probably no meaning to it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there is. I really don't think yeah. that there is. But it makes you want to figure it out. That's kind of like how. We have to watch like Lost Highway. That's what, like that's why I watched Lost Highway so many times because I was like I need to figure this out, and it has like clues like this. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, I get it, but then you're like, but this, like, there's always like some loophole that makes you think, oh, it can't be this because of this. Right. And that's what this movie is kind of like. I, yeah, I understand. Um, I have not seen Lost Highway, like you said, but um, I, I get the, the, and <laughs> I, it's I get also, the impression. And then it also made me think of like Donnie Darko too. And you're like, oh, it, like all these random clues where you kind of want to watch it over and over and over again to figure it out. I don't know if I want to try to figure this out. I don't know if it's, it's meant to be I think if out. I was younger and I watched this, I would have been... Like, that's just how I was. I was, like, obsessed with movies like this where I wanted to figure it out. Like, I need to know the meaning of it. It doesn't need to have a meaning. But I think, again, to sort of go back to that point where Kieslowski and Lynch thrive Mm -hmm. is that their presentation makes you want to go back, too. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, anybody could just create a silly story, but if it's not presented well, like, who cares and not to say this is a silly story i'm just saying um an obtuse other people be like you know it was just a movie it's like oh well that was kind of dumb it didn't go anywhere yeah some people will either take a deeper meaning to it or other people be like yeah i don't know what the fuck that was about and i don't give a shit yeah but this makes you give a shit because of the presentation because of like the cinematography because of the sound qualities as well. Like, I mean, there's a lot of silent parts in this. Yeah, and that the so and then the other thing that was tied with both their stories is that song that the first Veronica sang for this uh, show she was gonna do. Right. And it turned out to be it's a fictitious like opera type song or it's because it, I was looking at it's, I was it's trying, part of the composition by... it's part of yeah it's a it's base it's a fictitious 18th century Dutch composer so it's not even like a real composed song from like 500 years ago it was like a made up classical song for this okay. movie which is probably why it got such recognition yeah overall uh, and that's played I... throughout the first and second parts of the movie. Zbigniew Preissner, uh, Golden Globe nominated composer for At Play in the Fields of the Lord. He won the Cesar Award for the movie Red from the Three Colors trilogy, also nominated for Blue from that same trilogy, also nominated for A Secret, Alisa, and he also did the music for Europa Europa. Not the one that we watched for this podcast, but the other one that gets confused mm-hmm. with it. Not Zentropa, but Europa Europa. Um, and then he also had a uh, 
Caesar nomination for the best music for this movie as well, but he lost to All the Warnings of the World. Um, but yeah, fantastic music, but also sparsely used. There's just so many points where there's just dead silence or just the sound effects are crucial and so you're just listening to little tinkerings, little whatever, it, you know. A lot of playing around with perspectives and everything. What I, what I also in, found interesting is that very early on, because of this movie is like double life and has like a dual role thing, you have a lot of shots that are showing things through different lenses or magnifiers or you're seeing reflections in mirrors and yeah, doors and things like, like she's that. she's looking through a marble or something yeah. and you see through her perspective. And there's like, you know, glass warping and whatnot. Yeah. But then that kind of stops a bit more in the second half because guess what? The second person's gone now. And I think that's like a nice little subtle touch where, you know, you have all these different things where both of them are physically around, even if they're not sharing the same space, mm -hmm. that you have more of these spots where you have her reflection in the background of the shot, mm -hmm. or you have this, you know, little warping of the glass. And then when the French one becomes the only one, there's a lot less of that. But I also appreciate that the tone doesn't change. You still have the same greens and oranges and, and uh, yellow hues through both parts. So it's not like they're separated by colors either. They're, they share that warmth as well. So it's those types of touches, that type of care to the filmmaking side of things that makes you want to come back as well. Because it's not just about the story, it's also just about how beautiful this whole thing looks and sounds. But yeah, I definitely was expecting more of like a mystery. <laughs> so uh, now that I know not to expect that, I think a second viewing would be a lot more um, easy well, to now, take. Yeah, now, now that you know what happens, you you just you're just looking for clues, I guess. Yeah. And it, the way it ends is just how we said where you. <laughs> Alexander is like, I'm going to write this book and I need to think of a title, The Double Life Of, and that's kind of... Well, <laughs> she goes back home to her dad. Yeah, she goes... That kind of ends. Like, like they don't come up with a name together or whatever. And then she comes home to her dad and she touches a tree. And, and he, the dad looks up knowingly. Knowingly. And Not that was, out at her because she pulls up in the car and like just touches a tree from outside the car. And then I didn't get that, so... And, but, and then we watched... There's, like, a U.S. version mm -hmm. of this ending, which, I mean, it didn't really explain anything further. No. Because it was just her touching the tree. The dad gets up, looks out, and sees her his daughter, and then they run to each other. Yeah, and then they embrace, and then they and end the, end. the movie. So, I mean, I understand... I, you know, I appreciate that even if the U.S. ending needed to be changed... Whatever, yeah, so people, because people are probably like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? But it doesn't, like, help things all that much. You know, um, I don't know what the significance is of the tree, because I don't remember it being part of any of the conversations. I don't no, remember interacting with it in the first place. What I was trying and, like, I to was find trying out to think, when like, I was looking this up. While we were talking during this whole movie, is the only yeah. time I thought of anything that might resemble, like, 
I mean, obviously you have like Tree of Life symbolism that you could throw in there, but also just wood of the marionette puppets. Like she's t- touching. Yeah, but what does it have to do like with her father, puppet? though? I don't That's know. What I... But yeah, it was a weird way to end the movie. I'm not going to hold it against it, though. No, I, I was just... I had questions. <laughs> yeah. It, it raised more questions than it answered. It didn't feel like a resolution. It felt like a new new beginning to, like, a third act that never came about. Mm-hmm. I will say, it does make me want to watch more of Christoph Kieslowski's movies, who's the director in this, and as well as co-writer. Oscar-nominated for the writing and the directing of Three Colors Red. Can uh, and Palm d'Or nominated for Red and also a short film about killing. He's also done the other Three Colors movies, Blue and White, Decalogue, which is basically uh, 10 hour-long features, each focusing on a different sin. Um, mm. So a lot of his... He also did a short film about love. All of these movies deal with higher concepts. So, you know, he's, he's well-known for this type of stuff. Uh, and it really makes me want to go back and watch the Three Colors trilogy again because we got Uriane Jacob as the lead in Red, which I think is the best of the three. Um, he retired from filmmaking in the early 90s, I think 93, 94 or so, and then he passed away in 1996. Uh, Christoph Pieschewitz. Yes, Pieschewitz. Co-writer of all of those movies of Kieslowski's. Uh, but in addition to his writing work, he's also been a lawyer in Poland since 1973. And he's also at various different times been a member of the Polish parliament. So he's not just an artist, but he's also a government person and a lawyer and whatever. It's, it's interesting to see that he like, maintains all of those. And he does continue to write some stuff here and there as well. Um, but weird to see that dichotomy. Uh, Irene Jacob as both Veronique's uh, BAFTA nominated for Three Colors Red. Uh, she's also in the 1991 movie The Secret of Sarah Trom- Tomblaine, which is not on our list. We, you know, it's, it's actually like a French movie that we don't, I don't think is available out in the U.S. She's been in things like The Gang of Four, Secret Garden, Othello, U.S. Marshals, and also the TV show The Affair. Yeah. I did a binge of that recently. Oh, did you? <laughs> that was one of my random binges. <laughs> so I was like, well, I mean, she's like in her 50s now. So mm-hmm. when I looked her up, I was like, oh, she's that lady. She's like a teacher in the affair. Yeah, most of the cast and crew, I'm not going to mention just because they don't have a lot of um, U.S. recognized credits, or at least not to me, and I consider myself to be something of a knowledgeable film person but I didn't recognize a lot of these things because they never made it out here um, but I will say that Alexander Fabry was played by Felipe Voltaire probably mispronouncing that I apologize uh, he was in Macbeth Cyrano de Bergerac he was in Three Colors of Blue and also Night of Destiny and then somebody we didn't really talk about at all Catherine there's like this weird side story uh, and this is also something that I kind of you know relate this to like Chongqing Express where there's you know just random little things that happen mm-hmm. that seem really important and then amount to jack shit uh, 
and that's what Catherine's story is. She's, I think, also a fellow teacher, um, but she's having some issues with her boyfriend, husband, I don't know, Jean-Pierre, and mm-hmm. there's like a court case, and French Veronique decides to go into court and lie on behalf of Catherine against Jean-Pierre. Yeah, but we never see that court case happen. Nothing. Yeah, I don't understand that storyline at all. No, I like nothing comes of it. We don't like John Pierre comes and, and says, "Oh, I guess I'm just gonna have to, you know, uh, proclaim myself guilty." Unless it's just, but like, like we don't even know like what about like mm-hmm. nothing's really explained about the whole situation. Yeah, I don't know. Unless it's just to show like what type of person Veron- Veronica is. Yeah, like maybe easily manipulated, perhaps is is the intention of that. Yeah. Or just overly caring of her friends, willing mm-hmm. to do anything for the people that she cares about. I don't know. Yeah, like she's an empath or something. Yeah, maybe. And, but that was the only reason why I can think they included that scene is just to show her, like how her personality is or something like that to progress further into this movie because this is before she gets you know the weird phone calls and yeah the stuff in the mail and whatever the only other thing i can think of is that it's also there just to yeah one like throw us off the scent of whatever this movie is supposed to be um and two just to show that yeah there's just random shit going on in people's lives at times and you know sometimes it amounts to something and sometimes it doesn't like it could just be as simple as that um, but anyway, Catherine is played by Sandrine Dumas, who's been in such films as Blacklist, Beyond Therapy, Valmont, Sushi Sushi, and Let the Sunshine In. So she's had some, uh, you know, international success as well. Uh, we already talked about the composer. Uh, cinematography was done by Swalomir Ijak. Hopefully I did that pretty well. Oscar nominated for Black Hawk Down. Also Caesar nominated for Blue. He also did the cinematography for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Proof of Life, King Arthur, Gattaca, uh, and Three Colors Blue, but not Red or White. In terms of awards, this movie had a few. Golden Globe nominated for the Best Foreign Picture. (laughs) Golden Globe nominated for the Best Foreign Language Picture. Uh, But that lost to Europa Europa. This was part of the... The different... I don't know... The foreign language film years are weird, so this is lumped in with other 1990 movies mm-hmm. uh, that we would consider for 1990 rather than 1991. Um, but yeah, so it lost to Europa Europa. Also, Spirit nominated for the best foreign film, but lost to another 1990 movie called An Angel at My Table. Caesar nominated for best actress, Irene Jacob, who lost to Jean Moreau for The Old Lady Who Walked in the Sea probably mispronounced that name too uh also best music like i said but lost to all the warnings of the world at the Cannes film festival where it debuted on may 15th it won best actress for irene jacob it won the fipressi prize it won the prize of the ecumenical jury and it was nominated for the palme d'or so there we go we move on to true crime and pop culture. So I can stop mispronouncing stuff now. 
So on this day, U.S. President George H.W. Bush takes Queen Elizabeth to the Oakland A's Baltimore Orioles game. Okay. (laughs) Reggie Jackson was not playing for either of those teams, so the Queen was safe. (laughs) I just thought that that was interesting because that was like one of the things. This is a historical event, but I mean, (laughs) I don't... I don't know. I don't know anything about, like, presidents taking the queen anywhere. So was this, like, a major thing, I guess, at that time? <laughs> it might have been. I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm sure I'm not the first person to make a naked gun reference mm-hmm. at the, the event. <laughs> During the, the Oakland A's, Baltimore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they made that. I don't know. I don't know if anyone <laughs> made that reference. On the broadcast? I don't know if they would have been allowed to even joke <laughs> I mean, about Yeah, that's what I'm queen, thinking. So. Like, no one would joke about that. Would anyone joke about that? Maybe now, but... Maybe, I just, like, on SportsCenter after the, after the fact. I just thought that was funny when I go on this one website to look up anything historical <laughs> or anything great that happened that day and this was one of the major historical events of that day and I thought it was to a game. Yeah. I thought it was funny but also like okay who cares but yeah when you uh, said George Bush I, I was thinking like when he threw up on the oh uh, the Japanese diplomats yeah I don't know when that was yeah I think that was a different year okay and we haven't, so we t- talked about, for music-wise, we talked about the top five and bottom five songs on the Billboard charts for this week as of May 17th, 1991. So I'm going to talk about some of the new releases that week. And there, there are like, I think five-ish can't remember anymore because I listened to a lot more than five. Oh, okay. Just because some of the people, I was like, wait a second. So the first one is coming at number 82, debuting, is the song See the Lights by The Simple Minds. And this is on their ninth album. And it's called Real Life. That album came out in April of 1991. And I think this is one of their first singles. But when I was reading about this album, it didn't do too well in the States. But it reached number two in the UK. Hmm. But, I mean, I looked at their... They they made a lot of albums simple minds and then the only song i really know from them is obviously don't you forget about me didn't they do a, a live and kicking too Isn't yeah that them? okay yeah but it's just like they're still but making yeah, music I guess. 80s, it's yeah. like like once the 80s ended well i think yeah once the 80s ended you're just like okay that was just like a one hit wonder two hit wonder band yeah, this one wasn't. I wasn't into that one either. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention, and I don't think America was really. <laughs> um. Okay. And then coming in, this debut single coming in at number eighty nine is the song "This Time Make It Funky" by a singer by the name of Tracy Spencer, and I kind of went down a rabbit hole of hers because 
I've never heard, I've never seen her name and I've never heard this song before, but she was a star search winner. Mm. So in 1987, when she was 11 years old, she won the junior vocalist competition on star search and she soon signed a contract with Capitol records. And at that time she was the youngest female artist to do so. And she won. I started listening to her other songs. She is known for Symptoms of True Love, This House, Tender Kisses, It's All About You, Not About Me. And it, none of the songs that... <laughs> like, the, the song that's on this for this week, This Time Make It Funky, did not chart as well as those other songs. Hmm. But the song This House, I remember. I that was her biggest hit. So she's like 15 now? Well, at, at this the, point, at this yeah, she's probably like 14. But it's just like, when I'm looking at her videos, it's just so weird how, like, they try to, like... Like, are they trying to do, like, a Debbie Gibson type of a thing? Or are they trying to do, like... But a... the songs that she sings, they're so adult. Right. And it's just... And then they try to make her look as if she's, like, in her early 20s. But she's, like, four, Like, you know, like a Leah or something, you know? Sure, yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't know what they were trying to do there with the the music that she was singing. Because she's singing like a... The first single is very cutesy. And like you can tell because she's like 11, 12 at that time. But it's just like three years later, she's singing like adult contempo. And then it's like adult themed type music. And I was like, "Uh, okay. The next debut single was... I just by reading this, I was like, I don't know this song. I've never heard of these people. But then when I started hearing the song, I was like, oh, this song. <laughs> and the song is called Lily Was Here by David A. Stewart introducing Candy Dolfer. So this song is just a jazz. It's instrumental. And I, and I was like, what? <laughs> okay, I've heard this song. <laughs> And David A. Stewart is the guy in Eurythmics. He's the guitarist. And then Candy Dolfer, she is a saxophonist. And this is like her her introduction into everything. But when I was, I went down, she's a Dutch saxophonist. And she, she became really well known in like the late 80s because she was an opening act for Madonna for her European tour. And then in 88, she was, Prince invited her on stage to play some songs with him while he was in Europe. So she was like big in Europe and all these American pop stars were using her. And then it's like, okay, let's bring her over to the States to make her even more popular. And then this made me laugh her debut album was in 1990, and it was called Sexuality. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it received a Grammy nomination. <laughs> but she has recorded with Prince, and then it was Van Morrison. She's also played with Pink Floyd, Alan Parsons, and then 
she was a judge on the fifth season of the Dutch version of The X Factor. And then moving on to number 94 is this song I knew really well, Temptation by the singer Corinna. And she just, uh, she just had one album and it was this album that came out in 91. And then this hit, Temptation, was her biggest hit. Like, I mean, I, I, I grew up listening to it. It was like on B96 all the time. It was number, it peaked at number six on the Billboard 100. And I looked at, she's still making music, but she doesn't have any albums. She just releases random singles here and there. And her most recent one was last year. And it was a song called Take Me Away. And she also toured with Ice Cube, Boyz to Men, and then Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch in the 90s. Hmm. But that was, I don't know. She kind of, she did the one album and she was like, okay, I'll just do random songs. Yeah, I'll just rant like throughout my life. Instead of grinding the whole time, I'll just finish a good song and then just release it once it's done. Right. Yeah. Okay, and then coming out, debut single at number 95 is the song Treat Em Right by Chub Rock. Have you heard this song? Oh, yeah. Okay. I was like, I hope you know this song. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this was on his album called The One, which that album reached number 13 on Billboard's top hip-hop charts and Treat Em Right. Just the two of us and the Chubster, they all made it to number one on the rap singles okay. in 1991. Yeah, Chub Rock is probably a little underappreciated as a yeah. rapper. And then coming in at number 97, I we talked about this song, but I think we only just um, gave the music video on our website. Yeah, if we did the bottom five, we must have talked about it. Yeah, but I looked into... This song is called Exclusivity by an R&B group called Damien Dame. And then when I looked them up, it's it just consisted of two people. It was a guy and a girl. A guy named Bruce Edward Damien Brodus and then Deborah Jean Dame Heard. And they only came out with this one album that came out in 1991 and it was co-founded by Babyface and that this was like exclusivity peaked at number one on the R&B hip hop songs charts on the Billboard 100 but heard Dame the woman was killed in a car accident in Georgia on June 27 1994 she was 35 and then Brodus, Damien, died of colon cancer at the age of 29 in June of 1996. So, like, their career just abruptly ended. I might have mentioned that, too, last time. Did I? Because, I mean, when I read about them, it's just like they had 
this one album, this one hit, and then and that then was it. Both of them tragically passed away not too far apart from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing how many stories are hidden amongst the charts. Yeah, they they wouldn't do a behind the music on them because it would oh. just be like a twenty minute episode or something. I don't know. I just thought that was doesn't mean it's not fascinating. Sad. Though. Yeah. And that's all I got. So we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put the double life of Veronique? Ah, uh, okay. I was going back and forth, but the more I thought about it, I'm gonna give this a four. Okay. Were you thinking about doing the five? No, I was going between three and four. Three and four. Okay. Because I was like, do I like this? <laughs> but then the more. I'm thinking about it. It's like, one okay, that you need to simmer on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. On my zero to four star scale, I was actually thinking about doing a three, but I think I'm going to do three and a half. Um, and honestly, if I watched it, you know, a few years from now again, I might change it to a four. It's, uh, I'll give an example. Like Rushmore is a movie that I really honestly hated the first time I saw it. Wes Anderson's mm-hmm. movie, but I love it now. Like it's you know it's it's amazing and and I, I this one I think is just something that I think would just grow on me more over time because I know what to expect because I know what it's presenting to me. I think I was expecting something different and because it didn't meet my expectations that I was giving it a little score in my head. That's what my thinkings were. I'm like, this didn't go the way I wanted it to, but I mean, that's not gonna make me give it a low rating because it didn't go my way. Yeah, and I don't know, to compare it to another movie like Delicatessen where I gave that kind of a lower rating compared to other people would, that did not meet my expectations because of the world building aspect, but I still enjoyed the movie overall. This didn't present any of that to me this is just here's uh, here's Here's a couple people yeah (laughs) Yeah. so i mean i'm gonna say three and a half for now but i it could go up to a four if i watched it again later on uh speaking of which every movie's worth watching once would you watch it again yeah yep i think we both answered that multiple times (laughs) throughout this that it's (laughs) it's not only um something that's it's not only something that we would do, it's almost feels like a requirement to give it some time and then try it again. Like it's it's meant for it. This is this is designed for multiple viewings. Yeah, it's when I had my weird obsessions with certain movies like Lost Highway again. <laughs> yeah. I I would have I would come home every day and watch it. I would watch it once a day, every day, for I don't know how long, to try to figure it out. Yeah, and all my movies that I watched on a daily basis were just, like, mindless stuff to put on the background while I did, like, homework and other stuff, like Billy Madison and Carly Wade and Pecker and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, those were the VHSs For me, I, I was trying, I was like, I need to know, yeah. but I don't know, make, making notes and stuff like that. But uh, if you out there want to watch The Double Life of Veronique as of this recording in January 2023, it's available on Criterion Channel, Canopy, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. 
You can email us at 1991movierewind.gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to end our international month with Mediterranean. That's only on VHS or import DVD. We will see you then.